RPS powered by Seth. Welcome to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where two grown men and a gifted young mind discuss some of the hottest and most relevant issues in pop culture. Supervising everything with the keen guidance of a kung fu grandmaster is Sensei Ben Cardew. <laughs> to my right is the apprentice who actually wears the black belt of code-breaking social media, Marvai Verdu. Yep, that would be me. And behind the controls is the blacksmith who forges the iron swords we use to go into battle, Mr. Rob Roman. And this coming right in there is Toots and the Matels. Sing it up, Mister. Hey, what I say, sir? Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Get your hands in the air, sir. Woo. Yeah. Then you will get no hurt, mister. No, no, no. I said it, You just heard the legendary Jamaican reggae icon Toots Hibbert from Toots and the Maytals, who sadly passed away last week as if 2020 couldn't be any more of a pain in the arse. With the Maytals, Toots Hibbert established himself as a leader in the development of the bright, easygoing sound of reggae in the mid-60s. Uh, he was also credited with popularising the term through his 1968 song, Do the Reggae, and I once saw Toots and the Maytals at a London festival on a sunny day, and it was just beautiful. It was one of the loveliest experiences of my life, and I'm so sad that he died. I know. I mean, how many decades of touring did that band have? I mean, five decades easily. I know. Four. They're also one of those bands you sort of listen to, and oh, they did this song, and this song, and this song, and this song. It was, it was, it was so good. And uh, yeah, 77 years old, he died. It's very sad. I mean, it's been a terrible week in the world of music. Um, in Spain, we were only just uh, recovering from the shock of learning of the untimely death of Spanish rap uh, pioneer DJ J Mayúscula from the Club de los Poetas Violentos. I mean, he was one of the first producers to plant the seeds and figure out how to make rap music in Spain with no budget, no support whatsoever from major labels or media. And slowly they, they built their own label, Zona Bruta, and, and kept the, the flame going. Uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of one of his productions for Malagen, a fellow Malagueño uh, rapper El Fomega. Uh, this is uh, Ario de Descanso. That was his production. He was very active. He had his own radio show. It was one of the first uh, hip-hop radio shows on Spanish uh, national radio, Radio 3, El Rimadero. and uh, it, it, it's it's such a blow. I mean, he he wasn't he wasn't that old. Uh, it was just out of the blue. I think um, it was heart failure. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's it, not only that; it's been toots and the matels, hota mayuscula, all in the space of uh, less than 24 hours. And without wanting to sound superficial or diminishing, when influential musicians pass away, you want to have a bit of a dig into their early work and re-listen, right? Give them some sort of personal homage while you're tinkering in the house, watering the plants. So there I was listening to old hota mayuscula productions. All of a sudden, the toots news, and and then and there's loads, lots of toots you feel like playing, as you said, Ben. There's there's just such a vast catalogue uh, with Toots and the Matals and when they were just simply called the Matals. And once you get started, there's no stopping. So you get cracking and you're listening away and you open up internet and another legend has passed. I mean, it was Ron, Ronald Callis Bell from Cool and the Gang. Sid McRae, who was one of the founding members and original singers in Bad Brains. I mean, we're getting to that age where a lot of icons of our youth are departing and it's something that affects us trans transiting the middle age, something we're going to be discussing uh, in this episode. A bit of seasoning for that human phenomenon referred to as the midlife crisis. Um, we turn to music for answers. Music has a lot of uh, answers, well, a lot of answers to fire back. For instance, an artist who meant the world to me since the latter half of the 90s was Tricky. The Bristol artist who rose to prominence singing on Massive Attack's first albums, Blue Lines and Protection, before making a hell of a splash with his debut, Max and Quay, which blew everyone out of the water and helped define the term hip-hop, which crystallized along with Portishead's Dummy and the aforementioned Massive Attack albums. God, I miss the end of the 90s. Ben, I mean, do you remember? I'm, I'm sure you, you, we're roughly the same age. Were you very enthusiastic about all that scene? Very much so. I love that kind of thing. I mean, like, Max and Kay came out in 1995, um, which was when I was just sort of in my last year of school, 17, 18, which is the perfect time um, for that kind of thing to go over. Uh, Mara's laughing because she probably wasn't born at that stage. No, no she wasn't <laughs> I was born. just here every episode learning so much, like listening. Oh, so interesting. I didn't know that. Like, I want to listen to all of these now. But Massive Attack are still very yeah, relevant. Massive Attack, I know, I, but I know actually, but. I didn't know all this backstory and that the first singer passed away and all of that. So I'm here just learning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I segued really bl uh, bluntly. I didn't make a note. All of a sudden we went off talking from these fallen legends and all of a sudden we're talking about Tricky because Tricky released a new album which Ben reviewed for Pitchfork and it's an amazing album. It's a, I wouldn't even call it a return to form. Um, you, were you familiar with any of Tricky's music, Mar? I'm curious to know. Not that I know. Maybe I know like his biggest song, but I don't associate his name with anything right now, so I feel very dumb. Well, you will love Tricky because, I mean, uh, first of all, he has he, he he's he's always been a bit of a dense artist musically. A lot of his albums can get a little bit dense because he's had a, a very rough upbringing in Bristol. Um, and he, you know, he was a bit. He he erred on on the criminal side before he he discovered the the power of music, um, and he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. Well, you know, he is quite a character, but he was also one of the. Uh, I remember reading fashion magazines in the 90s and Tricky would wear a dress on the cover. You know, he was already toying with um, uh, gender fluidity, but not that he was, you know, he's, he's, he's extreme. He's, he's very, well, uh, very well known as a heterosexual lover. He's, had a, he's, had a, he's been the boyfriends with Bjork, with Martina Topley Bird, who sang on practically made uh, half of uh, the, the, the virtue of half of Max and Quay. Um, ben, what do you remember of... Uh, well, tell us about the new album, first of all. You reviewed it. 
All right, so one of the themes that we're looking at in this show is the midlife crisis and what, and what happens. And okay, so Tricky, this is his fourteenth studio album. Well, depending on how on how you assess it, and um, he's one of those artists where he he was so brilliant at, at the first, and his debut album was so brilliant, Max and K. And then every album, for me, was just that little bit not quite as good you know and like his second album I was really excited about and I listened to it that was nearly God uh, sorry Premier Lane Attention it was yes. like nearly God which was sort of collaborations and the third one Angels with Dirty Face so I was still really excited and then it just it just went down and every time you know how it is with these things like anytime someone like that releases a new album everyone's like yeah you know this is the return to form and it very rarely is but this really is this is um, it's one of those things I had to listen to it a few times like is this really as good as I think it is because to me, it sounded like the best thing he'd made possibly since that debut album. And also it showed like a real maturity in his sound. Like at times it sounded a bit like what he was doing before, but cleaned up and done kind of acoustically. Tricky always had like loads and loads of murk in his, in his sound, yeah. which was really good at first. But I think at, it became a bit of a bit of a problem or not or something to hide behind you know you just make it kind of like really murky and then and you don't it, it sounds good but you don't have to do all that much now this is really really clean and it sounds exactly like how um a tricky album by a man in his 50s should uh should sound he's also got this new uh collaborator marta who's, who's a yep. brilliant uh, singer who apparently he found in a bar yeah also who's on tour and his singer effed off or something he just 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 found marta whether that's true or not, I don't know. But she's a brilliant singer. Well, that's the, that's. I remember interviewing him maybe 10, 12 years ago at Benny Cassim, and uh, I was asking him about this, about how he chooses his vocalists, because Tricky has always, ever since Max and Quay, even when he was making music with, well, collaborating with Massive Attack, he always wanted a female voice to... to it's like he, he has this thing about the feminine personality, so he always, and he's got this rough, you know, his, 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 his characteristical whispering growl, right? really claustrophobic kind of lyric like he's singing in some sort of dark room smoking loads of marijuana but he always has this he always chooses vocalists with angelic voices he even had Alison Goldfrapp singing on Max and Quay that, that kind of launched her career because then when she did her debut album it was basically it sounded just like the song that she had on Max and Quay uh, that kind of style operatic, dark anyway and um, what he said was I was saying Tricky you know you, you, you're so big you could get any famous vocalist to sing on your productions you know you could get Bjork back on in the studio you could get P, uh, Tori Amos uh, PJ Harvey I don't know uh, people from uh, and he was like mate I don't give I don't care about status I don't I don't work with stars I work with people who have talent period I don't care if I and if I meet them in the in the subway which is how they rumored to, it was rumored to uh, it was the rumor was that's how he found Martina Topley Bird. She was just hanging outside of school. Yeah, day. hanging outside of school on on a wall, I believe, in her school uniform. In a school uniform and sort of singing. He's like, "Oh, I like your I, I, what a voice, Martina Topley Bird! Wow, Oof, crush." Um, so this is his thing. It's like he he doesn't really care about the whole thing of having celebrities or famous people coming on his albums, even though he, everyone would kill to work with uh, with Tricky. But he no no, that's what I've always liked about him. It's like it's all about the pureness of the voice of the sound he's looking for and it's really interesting when you go back and studying the the production of Max and Quay because he didn't know how to work the samplers or or make the music he had all these ideas in his head and 
working with people who did know how to work with Akai, the early Akai samplers and stuff, you know, they, it was very laborious and, and, and a lot of, everyone was describing what it was like working with Tricky, you know, it was like he'd have these crazy ideas, he's like, right, slow this down, you know, put this with that and maybe it would be a chord which didn't pair with another one, but it was all this kind of raw experimentation that created, well, one of the most amazing records ever which is Max and Quay I mean I was I was listening to it a couple of years ago and it's like wow this album it still sounds future it's the, without Tricky there's no Burial for instance also um, I've just uh, forgotten her name do you remember um, a massively popular young singer who I always compare to Tricky uh, really incredibly popular Tirza no no uh, we'll, we'll wait to... male female Similar to Tricky. Billie Eilish. Billie. Oh, yeah. Now you see, the first time I heard Billie Eilish, I thought that sounds really, really tricky. And uh, Tricky was in an interview uh, talking about this the other day. He was saying, yeah, a lot of people compared her a little bit, a little bit to Tricky. And he's not saying that that she copied him, no, um, or even that she's heard him. But there, tell me, it sounds a bit like it, right? I don't, I don't know about Tricky, but now I want to hear if it really resembles to Billy because I know Billy, so that's really interesting to see. Well, because she she sings a lot about mental health, and Tricky mm-hmm. most of his lyrics are about mental, uh, well, uh, queer, uh, unease with the world, claustrophobia, um, just dealing with 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 stuff, not just emotions, just dealing with with everything and uh, through the human body, and and Billy is a bit like that. It is wow, that's a very interesting. Versus, isn't it? That would be an incredible collaboration, which probably would never happen because, as I say, Tricky is kind of a, a allergic to superstar kind of things. And at, at his peak in, in the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, he was always having this fraught relationship with the press and the, and the fashion magazines and stuff because he was such, he was so iconic. And as I say, you know, he was daring to wear dresses, even though he's this rough no West boy, you know, and hanging out with all these gangsters and, 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 and this kind of uh, black punk image you know he was as I say he he did a lot for, for gender fluidity shall we say for normalising it and visibilizing it so the other thing about this album the very important thing was it basically came out of tragedy his um, daughter Maisie yeah. uh, who he had with Martin Topliberg yeah. died in 2019 just as he was beginning work mm-hmm. um, on the new record and you can really feel it. I mean, Hate hate This Pain, which the song's kind of playing in, in the background, we're going to listen to it a bit later. You can really feel that kind of raw emotion yeah. coming through. I'm always a bit, a bit, I don't really want to say, well, you know, this feeling came about because of this emotion or, you know, because I, I don't go for the idea that, you know, art is only inspired by, by pain or whatever. You have to have that, that sort of pain to make art. But I don't know, like, it does really feel like really strong emotions came through uh, on on this record. Also, um, I heard very much the influence, or maybe not the influence, but it sounded a lot like PJ Harvey at times. Yes. Did you get that? Yes. Weren't they also an item for a while? I don't Uh, think so. I know that, hang on. It's because it was that time, wasn't it? It was when PJ was also going through a bit of her imperial phase. You know, I remember... Was it the Brit Awards or the Q Magazine Awards or something? You know, they got all these people in a room together. I mean, look at the class of the that era. P- Tori Amos, PJ Harvey, Bjork, Tricky, um, uh, Tom York, obviously Radiohead. Uh, all all those so all these uh, massive attack. Portishead. Yeah, it's like people who who were experts at the the dark ambience and and these these lyrics that were. It dealt with pain, it was cathartic, and, and they all spoke a similar language, but everyone had their own different styles, you know, no one sounded at all like each other, and they all loved collaborating with each other, yeah. 
So I'm going to say this is a, for me, this is a brilliant middle-aged album. Yes. Because it's got some of the <laughs> pain and loss of, of middle-agedness. Um, it is... It has influences of kind of the blues and things like that. It kind of calls back to his earlier work without copying it. Um, it's very melodic, quite easy to listen to without being easy listening. Um, and it's just exactly the kind of album um, I, I would have wanted him to make. It reminds me a little bit as well of Nick Cave, who I think is another yes. artist who's really um, managed to embrace middle-agedness. A little bit of Patti Smith as well, yeah. you know, in that it's got that... It's not sort of punky like his debut, but it's almost got that 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 same kind of spirit. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like punk that grew up a bit. Yes, you know, isn't still trying to like use the same four chords. Isn't still using the same murk. Isn't using the same samples, but has that same kind of feeling, but in someone a bit older. The the defiance is still there. Exactly, doing doing what you will. That kind of that kind of punk spirit rather than the sound. Should we have listened to the song? Yes. All right, we're gonna have just a little bit of a listen to Hate This Pain. Yeah, I can guess I might. I miss my baby who I fly. I my, my head, I hope I die. What a fucking game. Indeed, it makes me sort of not fear getting to my 50s. If if people like Nick Cave, Tricky, and the f- next album we're going to be reviewing are still managing to maintain such panache and dignity in in their in their middle age, uh, yeah, and, and it no longer sucks to get to that age. Can I just can I just say, <laughs> I've looked up uh, the life expectancy in Spain where we live. <laughs> yeah, that's depressing. As you, you don't need to get depressed. I do. Um, any idea what it is? It's about nine, way past no. 95. What? 78. 78. What? 83. What? 83. Hang on a minute. The, further along in the show, we're going to be talking about that related to the TV show thing. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. So you're, you're going to say... So what is it officially? 78? 83.3 years. Life expectancy. That's the yeah. middle. And I believe Catalan women of which Ma is, is one uh, yes. great example, have among the highest life expectancy in the world. Oh, my God. In the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say, like, in Spain or something. No, 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 in the world. The world, like, I think Japanese yes. people and, and Catalan women. Yeah, exactly. Don't get, a, don't get ahead. Don't get ahead. Okay. Uh, oh, all right. But okay, yes. okay. Well, I just want to say, I just want to say, if that is life expectancy in Spain, <laughs> I've had more than half. <laughs> Lucky me. Yeah, we so are I, in our middle. <laughs> I really can talk about this. We are in our midlife crisis, Ben. We're in our early 40s, so that's that's the new that's the new midlife. Sorry. Sadness. sadness. <laughs> sadness. That's what, you know, it, it, the, the older we get, there's more sadness than happiness. But this can't be. We have to resist, Ben. And that's why we have the breath of fresh air that is Marvai Verdu here with us. It is time to review the album of the week. You've been listening to Mother I've Taken LSD from The Flaming Lips' new album, American Head. 
Ben. All right. So uh, there's luckily we got three people in this studio because that means there can't be a tie because mm-hmm. I am not really in favour of this album. Look, I know, I know uh, it was me being against it last week, and I know <laughs> it's me being against it th- th- this week. I'm sorry, I do, I do love many things. I like the tricky album, but this album was just too much. Do, do you know what? All right, the, basically, maybe think the Flaming Lips have made their album again. You know, because they always make the same kind of thing what everything they do is so perfectly flaming lips whether they're they might collaborate with Miley Cyrus or make a a film or make a pop song and it still sounds like the flaming lips Mm -hmm. okay and the song titles on this album could be taken from a flaming lips random song title generator (laughs) I give you God and the Policeman (laughs) I give you (laughs) Mother I've Taken LSD I've given At The Movies on Quaaludes right now saying all that I really like individual songs. When I started off listening to this, I was like, oh, this is this is great, this is great. But it's all so one-paced, it's all like, duh, duh. Like, it doesn't pick up at all uh, until, uh, I think it's God and the Policeman later on, where it gets a little bit uh, a little bit faster. And it was just too much. It's like, do you like ice cream? Yes. Of course. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Would you like two litres of ice cream? Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Binger. Quit the weed. <laughs> no, I get what you're at. I, I know what you're talking I know what you're getting at, but that is precisely what I like about this album. The fact that it sounds the same all throughout. It's like that's the concept of it. They've got they've got so many albums. They've got such an incredible career behind their backs. They've experimented that some of their music has been a bit unlistenable at times when they get really wonky and really psychedelic-y. Um, they've gone big and massive and had their imperial phase from the soft bulletin through Yoshimi Battles, the pink robots. And I like the fact that they can afford to do these kind of things. It's almost whimsical. Uh, a lot of reviews sort of say it's like the sound of them. It's like a homecoming album, them returning to Earth uh, after traveling through the galaxies. Well, you know, there's an interesting story behind it. Oh. So basically, the, the concept is... <clears throat> Uh, I'm, I'm reading this from, from a review. Um, after revisiting the Tom Petty documentary Running Down a Dream following the rock legend's two, 2017 death, uh, Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips became fixated with the story of Petty's pre-Heartbreakers band Mudcrutch, with whom Petty spent time in Tulsa in the early 70s en route to LA. From that anecdote, Coyne and multi-instrumentalist Stephen Drozd envisioned American Head, the new the new album, as a work of speculative fiction, reimagining the lips as a sort of drugged-out local Oklahoman rock band that might have hung out and jammed with a pre-fame petty while he was passing through town. So mm-hmm. that, that, that's precisely what, what the um, what the concept is. It's basically going back to their, their roots. And I find it interesting that they almost need this concept to excuse mm-hmm. them. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like... Most bands were just like, yeah, we're going back to doing what, what we yeah. did before. But they're like, yeah, we, we thought about Tom Petty and his, his band Mud So Crow. specific. Like, he's going through a town and we're playing. It's so specific vision. But I'm, I'm here for it. I think that's what happens if you get to your 16th album. You probably get to the stage where, like, I can't just do another album. I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. And you have to, like, find something to sort of motivate you or even trick you. So it's like, yeah, but what about if Tom Petty hung out with you in the 70s? And you're like, okay, right, let, 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 let me write this album. 
Well, it's very methodical as well. I mean, he's, uh, Wayne Coyne and Band have always been very visual. They've always had, they've even made their little movies. Didn't they make one about Christmas in Mars and stuff like that? And it's all part of the, the Wayne Coyne universe. And I think that's, that it helps him. It's, 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 been, it's been working for him since the early 80s. They, he just frames his mind and his band into these kind of spaces and they're able to follow up on it and make an entire album based on these concepts. Yoshimi battling pink robots, hello. But the thing is, that song... That album sounded so happy, so optimistic, and this album is so world weary. I could be, I could barely take it at points. I mean, for example, um, "Mother, I have taken LSD." Mm-hmm. The lyrics, "Mother, I have taken LSD." I thought it would set me free, but now I think it's changed <laughs> me. Now I see the sadness in the world. God, that's a sad lyric. But maybe you want sad lyrics. I, I was listening to the album like for the first time. I didn't even know who they were because I'm uncultured. <laughs> no, no, you're <laughs> young. <'Cause> you're young. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I had this like soft feeling, like even though it was sad, and I think the song goes on and it says that someone dies in a motorcycle accident or something. Yeah. I was like. I, I don't care if it's sad. I feel like it's raining outside and I'm listening to this psychedelic music and it's comforting and I like it. But maybe I haven't heard the other albums that are better. I don't know. I like this one. In fact, the, 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 the sound is so uniform all throughout. This album could work as a blueprint for new bands to follow. Like, you know how some bands say, look, we heard so and so, uh, Velvet Underground and Nico, and we thought we have to make an, like the Strokes, right? They say, well, we heard that album and television and Marky Moon, and that, that, that's it. That set it off. And, and we came up with our own band. This is the kind of album that could spawn bands like. In, in that similar way like it, it's, it's, it's songs so they're torch songs that take you out into a galaxy they're perfect for melancholy moments it's perfect for 2020 when everyone is so world weary and it's also because it has so many references to LSD it is becoming quite a uh, a large part of the culture the whole thing of uh, taking escapist um, drugs or psychedelic drugs to to travel without moving since people are confined or you can't really take airplanes anymore as freely or without the fear of, of, of contracting the, the bloody disease so it's come at the right time it's almost like it was planned um, but I think that they, they, they just know how to surf the wave and, and just bring us the, the album we were all expecting by the way I bet Kevin Parker is loving this album from Tame Impala I think mm. it's the album that he wishes yeah. he'd made instead yeah. of the no I like that Slow Rise is good it's but, good it's but, good yeah I think he, he would be into it as well yeah you know, you know how artists they like they, they, yeah, they yeah, never yeah. they never cherish yeah. their own work. It's like oh, but yeah, it's yeah, never yeah. perfect. And then I bet he's having those moments, even though we like the slow rush. I bet he's like oh yeah, but his is much more melancholy and yeah. it's got that. Yeah. It's it's halfway between Ziggy Stardust and obviously then everyone talks about the Neil Young because of the voice, the way he sings. You know all those early Neil Young ballads. Um, I'm I'm definitely I, I I'm I might think this might be one of my favorite albums of 2020 so far along with Eddie Tacons. <laughs> I was going to say, you see these every episode. I know, I know, I know, but it's because it's getting better. Every album is getting better. Every <laughs> Look, I, just, I, I like it, but I can't handle it. I can't handle the fact that they were once like so happy and like, oh, yeah, everyone... I mean, they are talking about everyone dying, but it was like, so we've got to seize the moment. Now it's like, oh, everyone's dying. Oh, God, it's terrible. Oh, mother, I've taken LSD. I've gone to the... The cinema on Quaaludes, stop. And also, also, if I may say, the same words keep and keep on recurring. It's like religion, policeman, God, drugs, mother. You know, the same words keep on coming out. And then like at the end, 
uh, at the end of the album, there's a song called God and the Policeman. You're like, of course there's a song called God and the Policeman. You know, I well. just... If it had been, like, cut three songs, I'd have loved it, but I was just tired. I was just tired, you know? It's like, it's a long, long hour. It's 50 minutes long, and it felt like it lasted about 50 years. I mean, the second half of my life, according to the life expectancy figures, I don't I don't have time. <laughs> but well, I, what, as, as you mentioned, you know, Flaming Lips have been fiercely defending the underground and, and, under, and alternative ways of experimenting with music, yet they've been very savvy uh, by collaborating with mainstream artists from the time that they invited Justin Timberlake to play bass with them on a performance on British television, performing Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots, working with Miley Cyrus, who they've actually even had ayahuasca trips with together at her house full of animals. And on this album, I'm thinking, who's this female voice? It's not Miley. Mark. It's the Casey Musgraves. Casey Musgraves. The, the one and only, the, the queen of country. I love her. Is she going to be the next Taylor Swift or is she already bigger? Or what? what give us the um, download. I don't think we can really compare them. It's like the the new country big star and I think Taylor has left that path for good and she's now doing her thing and Casey is glowing in her own path as well so I think they can just go along their, their ways separately but I love them both I love Casey and I wasn't expecting to see her here so and it and works yep Gives me distinct sort of Dark Side of the Moon vibes, the Casey Musgrave songs, you know, um, where she's sort of, there's that very uh, very beautiful wordless song that she's singing on um, that I like very much indeed. So it made me think, oh, uh, watching the light bugs glow. It's funny you mention that because Flaming Lips did a cover of the Dark Side of the Moon, didn't they? Yeah, they covered it. it well, in its entirety? Yeah. Or well, I, I just read it. I read an interview where he was talking about how he loves that album because it's so simple. Everyone thinks, oh, it's going to be one a prog masterpiece, and it's quite a simple album, uh, "The Dark Side of the Moon." And they covered it. Yes, they covered it with ah, who was it? Hang on, Spotify is taking its what? It's time. Everyone. <laughs> While you look that up. Ma, you've got a theory, right? Uh, we we always love love your in, yeah. your online theories, okay. and this 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 one kind of blew my mind. This is going to make her participation in the album even stranger. <laughs> yeah, I want you have to hear me out, so it might sound ridiculous at first. But when I saw Casey in this album, I just my mind just went other ways, and I was thinking, wow, what what is Casey doing here? I didn't know them, so. And now I understand they have a history with collaborating with bigger artists. But then I was like, okay, what is Casey Musgraves doing with the Flaming Lips, this kind of underground group, blah, blah, blah. But I think it actually makes lots of sense because like we talked, um, they talk a lot about LSD, psychedelic trips, blah, blah, blah. Casey has talked um, about this in lots of interviews that she has wrote multiple songs under the influence of LSD. So like Mother, Mother, it's a song about that Casey wrote, but not, it's not Mother I Took LSD, so that's <laughs> another thing that they have in common. And Slow Barn and other songs like that, she has explained that she did it under the influence. But not only that, I think what it's most important and makes sense in this collaboration, because I think Casey is the only one featured in this album, it's that Casey, even though she's obviously mainstream, she doesn't really care or she understands the underground aspect of music because even though she's won four Grammys and other multitude awards, she's not fully recognized in her own genre and her own people country. She's yet to have an, a hit on radio stations that are country radio stations, which mm. is crazy. And how, like, she is even, she has brought um, country to me who 
a person who would have never listened to country and has made it to a bigger audience. And she is even said to be Dolly Parton's secret daughter, which is the part that I'm going to explain ah, further. This okay. is what we like. Aha, yeah. the code breaker is here. <laughs> Tenet. Uh, then I will sidetrack back to my point. But I'm going to explain this because I think you're confused. Okay, so there's this thread on Twitter with lots of pictures side by side with the two of them. And the resemblance is uncanny. Like, you cannot say that these two people are not related. It's not like, oh yeah, Casey takes lots of influence, it's inspired by Dolly because Dolly is, is the icon of country, blah, blah, blah. No, no, like, these two people have to be related. They're, it's not only the hair and the makeup, it's the facial structure, the poses, the everything. It, it, it has to be her mother. And the thing that makes my case is that Casey retweeted the thread and tagged Dolly, and then Dolly, Miss Dolly herself, commented and responded back to Casey with a pair of, like, this emoji that it's a pair of cheeky eyes, like, oops, we've been discovered, you're my daughter. What? So, <laughs> I feel like that, you can, yeah, there's, that's enough evidence for me. I, Casey is Dolly's secret child, and nobody can say otherwise. I don't care if you show me pictures of Casey's real mother, no, it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I, I like believing myths. No, 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 uh, that's go facts. <laughs> but, okay, side-tracking side to, backtracking to what I was saying, that if the daughter of the queen of country is not recognized in the country world, like the country radio stations and everything like that, it's a bigger issue, that it's the gatekeeping of some um, genres of music. There's musicians that like to gatekeep, especially yeah. on country music, and that's, like, a thing that is really happening. We saw it with the Old Town Road hit that was out of the charts because yeah. they considered it, it wasn't happening. But uh, I hate it because why would you keep this community and make it smaller when you can make it bigger and take new people in and new people learn about this culture? And I feel like country music is living like this renaissance, this is being born again. And someone said it and it made me laugh. It's it's like a yinescence, like yeehaw, but yinescence, renaissance. Okay. Oh, um, I get you. Yeehaw and then yeenescence. Yeenescence. Yeah. Yeenes. Ye like yeehaw. 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 Yeenescence. Exactly. <laughs> yeehaw. <laughs> what about my? Sorry to interrupt you. Is is my? Didn't Miley Cyrus try to go back to country with uh, an album ago? Before uh, I lost track. Uh yeah. Um, I think it was more like pop, but yet for example, Miley, she's been like. Um, a country singer since Hannah Montana and, and I learned about country through her but I don't think she was like fully recognized or maybe she was because she was more fitting to the stereotypes but anything that goes out of the straight white male America mm. singing about pickup trucks and small town <laughs> living it's it's not country to them and they keep this amazing thing that could be so much more and is actually being so much more because even though they keep the community it grows other even if they try not to like that, that now country is cool to me because it's a place for artists to play and experiment with music but also a place to talk about um, race, gender, sexuality, the fluidity of gender and genre. It's, it's, it's happening either they like it or not. And that is why I like it and lots of people who would 
have never listened to country and because you think country, this man think, talking about his truck and wearing a hat and being a super male <laughs> male. And I wouldn't be attracted to that. But if I see Casey being the diva queen she is and then talk, being so open-minded and a cool person and also another country musician that I love is Orville Peck mm. who is the best Fantasy. the best he's like for the people who don't know him it's like a new age Johnny Cash but in the form of a masked gay cowboy <laughs> like how can it get any better it cannot <laughs> and another country musician that I like is Trixie Mattel who apart from being one of the biggest drag queens is also a super talented singer and she plays the auto harp which is like an instrument from good old america and she plays it herself and dressed in the in drag but mm, country references as well like the big wigs referencing to dolly and everything and lil nat like we said all these people are bringing country to us and i i love that now this is the new country this is a way for artists to play and revolution revolutionize music through this unexpected path and this is I, I I have seen that it has inspired many other artists from other genres that don't even sing country but are inspired by by this kind of revolution like for example one of my favorite albums is Be the Cowboy by Mitski it's Ooh. not it's Great not album. country it is it's it's perfect um and it has nothing country but she talks about how she ask herself what would a cowboy do and then when she, whenever she's faced with these um, expectations of Asian women and this thing that it has to do with gender with the race and she associates this with the I, the image of a cowboy who's lonely but also sure of himself independent and l driving through the sunset and I I love this for her and I love the concept and for example Mac DeMarco's last album what what is the title it was here comes the cowboy it has nothing to do with um, country but it it's from this reference of country and westerns and I love it and last example because I could go on and on and on and on it's um, Solange when I get home it's full of um, cowboy hats um, yeah. calves um, the boots the typical riding horses boots they have and it's an um, R&B masterpiece it's not country but it's so I feel like this all comes together when from the thing that is happening to to music to opening this scene and and changing it and making it more available and now people who maybe six years ago would have never made a reference to country because making a reference to country it would be like oh, talking about these people who are very narrow-minded and these men who live in middle america and maybe are not the best people to be associated with now it's a bigger thing and and it has influenced um me, it has influenced other musicians, it has influenced fashion, like Balmain and Burberry are taking a lot of inspiration from it as well. So I think it's perfectly genius, it's uh, fantastic, and I don't know why would anyone want to gatekeep any genre of music when it can be such a fantastic thing, and I love Casey, and I love that she's in this album. I, I think after that we have to listen to some Casey on this album. Uh, this is God and the Policeman featuring none other than Casey Musgraves.
Oh, by the way, the the, the Flaming Lips uh, Dark Side of the Moon covers album was called Flaming Lips and the Start and Stardeth and White Dwarfs with Henry Rollins and Peters doing Dark Side of the Moon. That was from 2009. As I say, impressive Flaming Lips. What a career! And as a, my, this album, I give it a nine out of ten. Now, today's episode. We've discussed things related to the midlife. Tricky, Flaming Lips, all artists in their 50s who are navigating the ageist old pop music industry with panache, dignity and grace. They still have something to say and very fresh ways of saying them. For us, the audience, we're living in a golden age of 80s nostalgia, especially in film and TV. Those of us who were kids or teenagers in the 80s and now are dodging the curveballs in the playing fields reserved for 40 and 50 year olds are being flooded with reboots, remakes and resurrections of old characters. We had plasters on our bedroom walls. Listen to this music. See what we're talking about. If you don't record, if you're not punching the air by now, you were not born in the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. This was from the Karate Kid, the movie that spawned 500,000 dojo karate dojos to open, all the way from Baghdad to Torremolinos. Everyone had a kimono. Everyone managed to make it to yellow belt or something like that. It was amazing, right? So Karate Kid, Ben, were you a Karate Kid fan in your younger years? Well, I've only seen the first film and I really liked it, but you were absolutely shocked and amazed and possibly revolted that I hadn't seen the other films. Karate Kid 2, Karate Kid 3, Mr. Miyagi all going to Okinawa, doing the bonsai trees. But this is the fascinating thing about reaching your sort of, you know, 40s, that kind of age. Suddenly, right, all your generation is the people who are sort of in charge of media and stuff. So all the kind of like things you remember from your youth are getting resurrected. You know, you remember when, when you were young and your parents were like, oh, the 60s, wow, wasn't it great? And people like be remaking the Avengers and things like that. And now it's us. It's like, it's it's... Our generation in charge. So we get things like the Karate Kid remake and we get people going, oh, no, when the 90s is great. And you get like, you know, drum and bass revivals and things like that, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, I was, a, I was a fan of the Karate Kid. Ma, how about you? Um, that might be controversial. 10, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I haven't seen Karate Kid. And I had a remake when I was younger, starring young Jaden Smith. And soundtracked <laughs> by Justin Bieber. I have only seen. I have only listened to the Justin Bieber "Never Seen Never," who was, who made it for the movie. But I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Sorry. No. Well. Okay. Well. So fast forward now to to now. Well, 2017, the uh, Cobra Kai, the show that everyone is talking about on Netflix, right? It is uh, the same characters: Johnny Lawrence facing uh, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny, facing Daniel Larusso, right? Once again, they're re. Igniting their feud 38 years after the original Karate Kid, uh, since they last saw themselves at the at the Valley Tournament, right? And um, it is such a marvelous piece of nostalgia because the whole story of how this series got picked up, it is all very heartwarming, especially for people who are you know who sometimes lose their mirth in life when they hit the middle age, right? Um, because apparently there was a theory going on in internet say, uh, saying that look. In the original Karate Kid movie, Johnny Lawrence, who originally played the bully, who 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 t gangs up on Ralph Macchio's character Daniel Larusso, and and then that's why he seeks uh, uh, 
uh, he seeks to learn the ways of karate thanks to Mr. Miyagi. Well, there's a theory that it was actually uh, Johnny Lawrence who was the victim. And, if, and it was very well uh, edited on a video on YouTube where they, they showed how it was actually uh, Daniel LaRusso who kind of threw the first punch uh, on, on that beach party and how he came in and stole this guy's girlfriend and stuff. So Johnny Lawrence was just defending himself and, you know, trying to keep his ground and whatever and, and trying to teach this kid a lesson. So they've, they've taken this angle and uh, they've run with it. And, and the show is absolutely fantastic. We've got these guys, uh, they've aged very well, by the way. And and it and there's all these kind of it, it, Johnny Lawrence is a, an old-fashioned guy, you know. He listens to Guns and Roses. He doesn't know how to use internet. Uh, he hates millennials, <laughs> and it's basically he's channeling the voice of many 50-year-olds who are grumping and grumbling on Twitter, you know, like oh millennials, millennials. They don't have any good taste in music and all this kind of stuff. Have you have you are you interested in this seeing this uh, show about karate men in their middle age uh, opening karate dojos? Not by that description, but I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm interested because I remember and I see that you wrote it in the script um, that I saw a How I Met Your Mother um, like episode and this guy was like, I know his face because of the episode of How I Met Your Mother in which Barney Stinson is obsessed uh, saying that he's the victim, that it's the saddest story to him because he understood the movie all the way like around and they get mad at him like all the other characters of How I Met Your Mother get mad at Barney because it's like no he's the villain blah 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 but then they meet him or something like that and I remember him and now I'm maybe interested in seeing that. This is one of the fascinating things I think about the internet era because for all the very bad things that social media does occasionally like something really good comes out of it you know and there's 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 so much sort of moral relativism these days that people are always ready to like uh, tell us any kind of theory about who was good and who was bad and like you'll read theories about I like, know Darth Vader was the, the good one in Star Wars or you know normally it just it just ends there sometimes people go to the lengths to actually make something to, to show to prove like no Darth Vader was, was the good guy in Star Wars and I love that this has actually gone from like a, a Twitter thread or whatever mm. to actually being a series about it and it made me think what other sort of theories would we like to see explored you know, other sort of online theories or, or remakes of uh, popular television shows that we'd like to see. And I'd like to say, actually, that Darth Vader as the good guy, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, I'd like to say it where, where, like, you know, the rebels are sort of the, these, like, really, you know, bad, bad people that are rebelling against this legitimate government that's just trying to do all the kind of good things. And Darth Vader's the harsh but fair person who's trying to upkeep the law. I'd love to see that. So it, that's nothing to do with Karate Kid, but it just got me <laughs> thinking. George Lucas kind of did do that with the, the prequels. Uh, and You know, Anakin Skywalker was very disgruntled at the Jedi Order. All of a sudden, the Jedi Order were kind of stiffs. It wasn't. They weren't cool. The Jedi in the in the in the in the in the prequels of Star Wars. They were like, oh, you know, they 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 wouldn't let him have his moment. His his moment in in when they'd have these gatherings and meetings, and they were always like kind of shunning him, and that kind of turned him to become the bitter Darth Vader that we've grown to love. <laughs> but anyway, let's not digress from the Cobra Kai. Huzzah! Uh, it's brilliant because the, it it's it's tacky. It's a little bit lo-fi. It's 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 got a teenage cast which are terrible. Terribly bad. They're so bad, they're funny. 
they're fun. You know, when a series, it's almost like Baywatch. It has that similar tone of hammy oh. acting, uh, just sort of a really crappy setups. Like all of a sudden there'll be a fight in, in the middle of school, just random. <laughs> now I'm listening. Now yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, it's got that kind of tacky quality. But what saves the show is is uh, Ralph Macchio and uh, William Zabka. You know, they're, they've got incredible chemistry and, and their rivalry and, it, and, and they're hamming it up. But at the same time, there's a lot of heart behind, you know, Daniel LaRusso. Uh, he, he, he owns a really successful car dealership and he gives free bonsais to whoever visits the car dealership, <laughs> right? And, it, and, and you see him doing this really tacky kind of advertisement, like typical LA kind of advertisement on local TV. But the, but the guy really does love his bonsais. You know, it's like, no, no, these, these things are important to me. I, I'm actually trying to do a good thing. I'm not just using it as a gimmick. It's all these kind of things, you know, it's, I don't know, it, 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 it pulls at the strings. And uh, what's what's exciting, obviously, about the series is uh, okay, who's going to come up next? What what other surprise character are they going to bring behind door number three from the original trilogy? Right? Apparently, digging into internet, everyone wants to be on it, except for Elizabeth Shue, which is the one that everyone is asking about. Uh, we were wondering, you know, Elizabeth Shue. She's had a weird career because she's she's won an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. She's done in she was she's been in loads of major '80s movies, and she's still she's still you know she's in The Boys. Uh, well, first season of The Boys, which is currently trending on on Amazon Prime. Uh, so she's got an incredible career. You know, it's not like she 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 had a. a a bad streak or anything but it's like will she will she join this will she make a, an appearance or something they're already alluding to her I don't know we're all very excited well we're all uh, me and a couple of nerds <laughs> well so this is the thing I want to ask if you haven't seen the original Karate Kid uh, is it worth watching or is it just so meta that you just wouldn't understand what's going on you would because they they do flashbacks to the original film they, they, they take scenes we so from the original from thing, the like original. you see them as kids and yes. stuff oh that's cool yeah yeah they, they, they had enough money for that I mean that can't have been yeah. cheap you know Karate Kid only cost something like 9 million dollars to make and it made 90 million something like that That was, and it's still making you know it's still you, know, you were looking on, on Amazon Prime to watch Karate Kid 2 and Karate Kid 3 you got to pay something like 10 euros or something to buy yeah it yeah yeah what? 5 euros I think it 5 was. euros alright rental alright worth it worth it worth every penny <laughs> Um, yeah. you, you just remind, do you know what they're remaking now? Sorry to diverge, but I, I had, to, uh, had to bring this up. They're remaking Saved by the Bell. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. See, you reach middle age, they remake Saved by the Bell. It's like you're this pathetic adult baby <laughs> and people are like, here, have what you want. It's here, let's throw millions of dollars at this Monetizing nostalgia, that's the thing. That's the way to go. If you monetize nostalgia, you're going to be rich. There, and there's still loads to monetize. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting it. Oh, yeah. the dark remake. The I dark remake. <laughs> you, you, you know about this, yes, no? Yes, Tell uh, us about um, it. No, I, I've seen pictures of like a reunion and of them because it's like, what, the 20th anniversary or something? And then I've seen like a poster of another random... Mm, person that I don't know that I get it it's a movie or I didn't get it's the information a it's a fake trailer like uh, this guy this guy Raider like I guess to showcase his uh, his uh, cinematography uh, talents he, he made a fake trailer of a dark and serious version of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air like imagine Will Smith's yeah. character Will uh, having to leave Philadelphia because he actually killed a guy you know and, and he gets sent to live with his uncle who who works as a judge and stuff and but all very like um, like a, like one of those lawyer dark crime CSI almost kind of tone with with drama and and Will Smith obviously saw it and he thought it's a great idea so he's obviously funding it and and it's got the green light two seasons 
Wow, yeah. I, like I didn't know the full story. I'm so happy. I want, I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. It looks good. It looks good. And I think even Jordan Peele is going to be like executive producing. I mean, Obviously, Jordan Peele's in everything that has to do with anything <laughs> yeah. with African Americans and like darkness. <laughs> so we're going to have to say goodbye. Yep. It's sad, isn't it? So listen to Tricky. Maybe listen to the Flaming Lips. Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to go. I want to leave on a high with Joe, Joe Bean Esposito. <laughs> this is one of the best songs ever. But I'll. Uh, no, all right. It. We'll we'll all go right. for it. This has been the weekly review. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we figured out when we're going to die, and we're feeling <laughs> all right about it. So uh, this is Joe Bean Esposito with "You're the Best." Yeah.